And then the fourth thing, efficiency. And most companies lead with efficiency. And Disney says, no, no, we're going to put that at the bottom of the list. Before you're efficient, you have to be safe. You have to be nice. You have to make sure you immerse people in the magic. And then you can worry about efficiency. And uh, efficiency is always trying to push itself to the top. Because when you're entertaining 20 million guests a year, you want to do things fast. But when you start doing things fast, you start doing things unsafely. You start doing things in a very curt way that's not... Um, that's not courteous. And you also uh, do, you take shortcuts and you ruin the show. So those are that, that was the framework that we used. And it's a very powerful thing when 70,000 employees at Walt Disney world, all are using the same protocols and the same metrics to think about their jobs. It is very powerful. Hello and welcome to Year of the Pivot on the Beyond Networking Podcast. This season, we're learning from individuals and organizations who made monumental shifts in 2020 in order to keep their business alive and continue their mission. I'm your host, Brian Miller, an author, speaker, and consultant on human connection. And today, we've got one of our featured experts for the season. Dan Cockrell is the former vice president of the Magic Kingdom. Yes, that Magic Kingdom. Dan started his Disney career directing cars in the parking lot, but when he left 26 years later, he was in charge of the entire daily operations of the happiest place on earth. I invited Dan on the podcast to help us understand how the hospitality industry has responded to COVID overall. You're going to learn about the power of staying on message, the secret to hiring and training a world-class team, when attitude trumps skills, the number one mistake companies make that lead to their downfall, how to handle an increasingly competitive marketplace, and the value of trust. Plus, stick around to the very end when I ask Dan to tell me one thing that even Disney super fans wouldn't know about the Magic Kingdom. And boy, did he deliver. This was a huge honor. As you know, my wife Lindsay and I are Disney super fans, so getting to spend an hour chatting with one of the most senior people at our favorite place on earth was truly surreal. Dan was super gracious and very generous, which made it even better. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Dan, including his excellent business podcast, Come Rain or Shine. Head to yearofthepivot.com for the Pivot Power newsletter, get notified when a new episode drops, the Pivot Pearl of the Week, and gain access to exclusive live streams, masterminds, and clubhouse get-togethers. And now I bring you the magic man himself, Dan Cockrell. This episode was made possible by Riverside.fm. Capture full, high-quality, raw audio in up to 4K video natively and without any internet interruptions. That's right, even if the internet blips out during the live call, your recording remains pristine. Head to Riverside.fm for your free trial and a big thank you for sponsoring Year of the Pivot. All right, Dan, thank you so much for taking some time with me. I can't tell you how excited I am to uh, to have you here. You can see it in my face. <laughs> no, I'm excited. I, uh, you know, we're all 
hold up in our houses. So it's always nice to get some social time and yeah, chat. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I've been following your, uh, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while now. And apart from the fact that my wife and I are just Disney fanatics, like we're those, we're those crazy adults that until four months ago, we ha- we didn't have kids. We have a four month old baby now. Um, but I, I've been joking for months that we only just deci- finally decided to have a kid just to justify the Disney obsession in our household. <laughs> uh, well, D- Disney's thinking, been thinking about you. You know, that whole next generation, they're counting on those future generations to be coming back. That's how the business Oh, yeah. Model. Just uh, this kid is already indoctrinated with, uh, with, with Disney and all things Disney. Yeah, we did our honeymoon there. We've, you know, it's just a huge part of both of our both of our lives for for so many reasons. So I'm I'm really excited to chat uh, about the wider industry, not just Disney, of course. But before we do that, what are you working on this week? What's on your plate right now? Boy, uh, we got a lot of going on. We're working. Uh, my wife and I are working with uh, an NHL uh, team. They have a foundation, and we're helping them put together some community messaging around leadership and some things for a. a college grads coming out, how to think about some life skills. Uh, we just have a new client in Nashville that we're going to go be visiting and getting that project off the ground. Um, we just started, a, uh, we're going to be doing a eight week uh, engagement with uh, Northern Arizona University hospitality program to uh, help their um, uh, hospitality students. And it's focused on leadership and building culture. And it's really from the point of view of a general manager, because a lot of these students eventually want to be in a GM role where you're leading multiple lines of business within a hotel. So we're going to share some of our experiences there. Um, that's a few things we got going, but we're we're trying to put our um, fingers in lots of different pies. And, and it's, it's good to diversify because uh, in the world today, you don't know what's going to work and what's not. So you just got to be busy and do a lot of different things so you can afford for a few things not to work out. And if a couple work out, then life's good. That's so great. That That's such a variety of different industries that uh, that you're working with and different different age groups and demographics. Like you said, you're working with students in some places and working, on, I, I assume, with uh, middle management and executives and in corporate and other places. H- have you found that those programs, the way that you approach them, not just the technology, I assume you're mostly just doing it on Zoom or whatever, video conferencing virtually, but have you found that the content of the leadership training has changed significantly in response to COVID or is that mostly, is the through line pretty much the same? Yeah, it's a great question. It is, it's the same. And I think, uh, you know, my dad um, has been focused on leadership for years uh, when he was working at Marriott and he worked at Disney and he's had his own speaking and consulting company now for 14 years. And something that I've learned from him his message never changes. It is always simple and straightforward. And I think a lot of times when we we like to we like to um, uh, complicate things, we like to make things sound more um, sophisticated than they really are. And so, what Valerie and I have done, um, my wife, we work together, is uh, stay on message. There are there are basic formulas that work, and don't mess with the formula because uh, a lot of people want to change the formula because they don't want to do the hard work necessarily. If you change the approach, then you can kind of do other stuff. We're like, no, there are basic tenets that are important. You have to select the right people for your organization. And whether we're talking to college students about that or we're talking to executives that were in these big companies, that is a truth. 
Uh, you need to build relationships with people and set clear expectations for performance and reward performance to reinforce it. So we, um, it's, it's funny because the advice we're giving to college students is the exact same one we're giving to companies we're working with. It looks different. It's, uh, we present it differently, but it's the same material. We don't have a secret book of hidden stuff that no one knows about. We're like, this is it. And people say, well, if you give away all your secrets, no one's going to hire you. They'll just read the book. I'm like, no, the great thing is um, they still need help baking the cake. Yeah. And, uh, and someone told me the other day, they said, you know, in Arizona, I can bake a cake and I can bring, bring my recipe to Denver. And if you bake it there, it's not going to work because there's this other secret ingredient that's wisdom and experience that hopefully we can bring to the table that differentiates what we do. That's great. I, I love the way that you conceived of, of that as th there really are no secrets. And in fact, letting people in on the secret is the way forward these days where I think that's that's a very that idea of like we got to keep the secrets to ourselves and that way we can be the only ones in the industry who do this thing that's a very um outdated model I think of doing business where this generation I'm 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 on the 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 cusp I'm one of those old millennials where I don't really identify at all with being a millennial but I barely made the cutoff and then of course Gen Z coming yeah. up be um, behind I think this idea, it's like the, the internet, everything you could possibly want to know is available within seconds on the internet. It's like, you know, for, I was a magician, right? For, for 10 years, I was a full-time magician. That's what I did. I was a corporate entertainer and uh, private events. And one of my favorite quotes about magic and magicians is that the average non-magician thinks that somewhere there's like, like in a mountain hidden somewhere, there's like a vault in the vault contains all the secrets of magic. And the only secret is that vault is empty, right? That's the only <laughs> secret. There's nothing in there. It's all out here. So I, I'd love to dig in a little bit to what you had said about finding the right people. Um, I, I think that what seems missed so often is that you're looking for people who are not necessarily have the right training before they get to you, but people who are the right fit for the organization. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. We talk about this a lot. Um, and I'll just, I'll throw out right away. There's a lady we work with who's got the, for me, the most clarity on this topic is uh, her name's Carol Quinn. And she wrote a book called Motivation Based Interviewing. And she's, for me, it's just a, it's a great formula if you're looking to hire the right people for your organization. So um, she talks about the fact uh, that when you hire, you hire, if you're hiring right the right way, you're hiring for skills, passion, and attitude. Those are three things you're looking for. And the reality is skills, you know, when I worked at Disney, typically we didn't hire for skills because most of the jobs we hired for, um, you probably haven't done before. You probably haven't worked at Pirates of the Caribbean before. You probably haven't parked cars. You probably haven't sold tickets. So we're going to train you. And even if you don't have the skills, as long as we know you can learn, we're going to hire you. So that's not a problem. Now, if we need an architect, we need you to have skills. If you're going to do an engineering role, if you're going to be a chef, you need to have skills. Uh, passion is, are you going to be happy doing this job? When you get here, do you really want to be here? You know, is this the thing that your, your goal was your goal to get into Disney or was it to ha do this job? And we want to, you know, we want to check that box, but by far the most important thing is attitude. Um, people have the right attitude, just they overcome things. They are optimistic. They always see the yes. They always see the possibilities. People who have great attitudes often are as, uh, are seen as being naive from people who maybe are more pessimistic or practical. Cause it's like, how can you always 
just be up and not be perturbed by all these problems we have, which are a problem. It's like almost annoying, <laughs> uh, but you know those people, and they just they keep moving forward because they they've just decided or they're wired. I think they're wired this way to a certain degree, but they've just decided. Look, I can't I can't control what's going to happen to me. Um, but I can control how I'm going to react to it. I'm not going to let anything bring me down. And I'm just always going to figure this out. And boy, when you can get the people that have these great attitudes, they're like gold. Mm -hmm. And in fact, this is one of the things we've learned at Disney. People say, well, how did you get so many friendly, great people to work at Walt Disney World? Yeah. How do you how do you train them that way? And I said, well, here, once again, here's our magic trick. Here's the trick I'll share with you. You know what? We hire people who are already like that. Yeah. You know, so we don't hire people to try to change them. We hire people that are already wired that way, and then we just put them in the environment and we let them go. And uh, the ones that said they like working on teams, the one they said who said they, um, you know, all the things they said, if they lied, they're going to be um, miserable at Disney because mm -hmm. you need people that work on teams, that deal in a high-paced uh, environment, that love service. And when you hire the right people for these jobs, leadership gets so much easier because you don't have to try to um, teach people all these things or convince them why they should be motivated to do their job. Um, you know, we have the, all these, this is what Carol talks about, which I love. She says, we, all, we have all these employee engagement programs. Like I'm supposed to make everyone uh, happy and fulfilled that they're working here. They should be happy and fulfilled because we have great leadership and we're, they're a working organization that they get to do well. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't encourage them. We shouldn't, you know, uh, uh, reward them for what they're doing. Everyone needs that. But I shouldn't have to try to convince you that you should love this job. That should have been something that you figured out when we hired you. And if we hired you and you don't, then we hired the wrong person. Yeah. So um, this is such an important point. And, you know, to drive the point home, think about, you know, sports teams or other things. When you hire the right talent, and it's not just the individual talent. Like I can run fast, I can throw a ball, I can catch a ball, but it's can I bring the team together? Can I, can I, am I a good influence on the rest of the team? And uh, those are real important pieces that a lot of teams overlook. They either hire for talent only. I only want the best person in this industry, but if they have a toxic personality, it doesn't matter how good they are. They're going to you know, kind of really poison that, that environment. Or I'm just going to hire people who are great connectors, but you also have to have people that are go-getters and, and getting ahead. So this is just, a, I'm, we, we could have a whole podcast on this, but I would just tell you, if you're going to focus on anything in your organization, um, as my dad likes to say, hire slow and fire fast. Make sure you have right fit people because when you have right fit people, um, culture gets better, relationships get easier, conflict gets easier because you have the right people there to handle it. I love that you said uh, fire fast, that, that, made me think of, you know, one of my heroes and mentors uh, these days, I'm very lucky to call mentor is Seth Godin. And, you know, one of the things that Seth talks about, in fact, he wrote a, a brilliant book called The Dip about this, which is this idea that people think that quitting, that successful people don't quit. And he wrote a whole book like, no, successful people quit all the time. They just quit in the right way and at the right time. They quit before they've invested the resources and the energy into something that was never going to work or they could never follow through on. And so, you know, when you just said, you know, fire quick, it's like, yeah, if somebody's not the right fit, do it now before you've invested all the energy and the time into getting them into the program. And then once they're in it, they realize they're not a good fit. They're going to leave you anyway. It's or, or be miserable. And it is amazing. I've been to Disney to, uh, to, to all throughout Walt Disney world 30 plus times in my life. And never enough times. And I can literally not think of a single bad encounter with a cast member 
ever. I mean, just like ever, which is impossible. Like when you think about that, it it's impossible, which which it sounds like it's to you guys. It's it's just your daily work. It's not impossible at Disney, right? Yeah, well, we do have moments where it didn't work out. So I think to a certain degree, you also got lucky because we don't nail it every time. But yeah, you hire, you you interview people, you hire the people who, you know, when, it's just basic. Do you love, do you like serving other people? Yeah. And in hospitality, hospitality companies hire people all the time who don't enjoy serving other people, but yeah. people need a job and, and they, they answered all the questions the right way. So we hire them. Yeah. You can't fake it. Either like helping people, or you don't. And I grew up, and I was always um, drawn towards that. I grew up, you know, um, I worked when I was when I was young. I mowed lawns, and my parents had me work. And um, I worked in a toy store. I waited tables in in college. Um, I was always drawn to service, and and so it made sense for me that I ended up in the hospitality industry because it wasn't hard for me to adjust to Disney because what they valued was kind of who I was. And so it's when you when you go into a place like that, it's not it doesn't mean it's not hard work and it's not easy. But at least when you are working really hard, you're actually bringing value to the organization versus trying to turn yourself into pretzels to figure out how to be good at what you do. Um, that's not good either. Yeah. So that that fit is a big deal. And I think people who are some people who are really talented think, well, I'm really good. I can go do anything. I've, I've concluded you can be good and actually you can probably be very good at ev anything, but you can't be excellent at everything. And the difference between very good and excellent is light years apart. So what are the things you can go to be excellent at and find what that is? And uh, it's not a job. It's an environment. Yeah. It's a skill set. Um, I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, all the assessments, you know, Myers-Briggs and Strength Finders by Gallup. My, my top four uh, strengths and, and strength finders have to do with relationships. So I concluded if I'm not with people, I'm not creating any value. So every moment I'm doing emails by myself, I'm in my office, not talking to people. I'm just passing the time getting administrative stuff done. So I had to focus on being with people as much as I could. Because when I'm with people, I'm more motivating, I'm more creative, I have more energy, I'm more influential. And that's where I figured it. So I could do that a lot of places besides Disney. But don't put me in a place where I have to be an analyst. Don't me put me in a place where I have to spend time just using my own brain to get things done because I get my done my, my work done through people. And that's why my job was um, it wasn't easy, but that's why I was able to do it because it was a natural fit. Maybe before we get too much into the the pivot kind of was stuff I want to ask you about, like what's changed in the hospitality over the last year and where it's going. Maybe you can give us at least a, a I would have given by the time anybody's listening to this, they would have heard my short intro uh, for you at the beginning. But why don't we just back up? Can you give us a, the quick version of what was your I mean, it was first of all, vice president of the Magic Kingdom. Do I, I have the title right? Mm hmm. What was that actually? Because I feel like people would hear that and it almost sounds like a very formal kind of a boring title. Vice president. I mean, it's a vice president sounds like a boring thing when you juxtapose that with like the Magic Kingdom, one of the most amazing magical places on earth. What were the core um, parts of your job? What was your day to day like? Yeah. Well, so people ask me, I say, you know, I was the way I thought about it was I was responsible and accountable for um the, the daily operation, the delivery of uh, what we did for our employees and what we did for our guests. And that is um, when you come down to operationally, 
you know, you arrive, you park your car. That's what we did. We got, make sure you got on the tram safely. You took the monorail over, you came through ticketing. Maybe you bought a ticket. You went to the restaurants, you uh, went to quick service, you rode the attractions. Uh, we made sure the place was clean. We had the custodial team cleaning up. Um, you have the merchandise team. We want to make sure you buy some stuff and take it home and, uh, maybe buy more. And, uh, we had entertainment. We ran the parades. We ran the fireworks, um, all the shows. Um, and then my job was a bunch of people who didn't report to me, but still operated in the park. So security, for example, security doesn't report directly to the vice president of each park. That's a global organization that security operates at the Magic Kingdom. I have a security manager that's at the Magic Kingdom, but they report to a vice president of security that's centralized because it's such a... Um, it's such a um, niche kind of business and you don't want each vice president operating their own security team because it's a very particular business they're running. You don't want each vice president running their own horticulture team because it's much better if you have a specialist at Walt Disney World that owns all of horticulture to make sure everything looks right. So you have a, it's what we call it a matrix organization. So I had direct control over a lot of the daily operations. And then I had a lot of people supporting me, bringing services to the Magic Kingdom to help me run those parts of the business. And um, I led through um, what we talk about at Disney, the four quality standards, the four keys. So when you say, well, how, do you, how did you prioritize what, where you focused? Well, the first key is safety. My overall, the most important thing at Walt Disney World is safety first. You have to think about safety. So my job was to make sure all our cast members, our employees were safe. They had the right equipment to do their jobs. They had the right training to do their jobs. We designed everything in a way that kept them safe and the guests being safe uh, to make sure they had a safe experience. After that, the number two is courtesy. Everyone has to be nice. We're in the hospitality business. You're at the Magic Kingdom. You better be nice to people. So I had to make sure that our um, employees were nice. They're making eye contact. They're greeting you. When you pull your map out, someone walks up and helps you give directions. When you bring your four or five or six-month-old, they talk to you and congratulate you about your new baby. And if you bring your seven-year-old and he really wants to see one of the characters, you make sure you make that happen. Uh, number three is the show. You know, Walt Disney originally built the theme park to immerse people in a fantasy world. And that's what we do. So when you come, the show is all about, is the right music playing? Are you smelling the right things? Is it clean? Is it painted? Uh, is everyone wearing the right name tag? Are they wearing the right colored shoes? All the details that go into all the pieces is, is making sure no one's pulling out their cell phone and texting while they're working. You know, that ruins the show. You want to make sure you're putting that show on. And then the fourth thing, efficiency. And most companies lead with efficiency. And Disney says, no, no, we're going to put that at the bottom of the list. Before you're efficient, you have to be safe. You have to be nice. You have to make sure you immerse people in the magic. And then you can worry about efficiency. And uh, efficiency is always trying to push itself to the top. Because when you're entertaining 20 million guests a year, you want to do things fast. But when you start doing things fast, you start doing things unsafely. You start doing things in a very curt way that's not... Um, that's not courteous. And you also uh, do, you take shortcuts and you ruin the show. So those are that, that was the framework that we used. And it's a very powerful thing. When 70,000 employees at Walt Disney world, all are using the same protocols and the same metrics to think about their jobs. It is very powerful and safety courtesy show efficiency was the, what we used. It's so fascinating to hear it framed like that in terms of priorities and putting efficiency as the only 
only work on efficiency once we've got everything else in place. And maybe this is a perfect transition into, uh, you know, 2020 and kind of the year of the pivot, as, as it were, which is that I thought when because Disney has only closed their doors so few times in the history of the park, I thought you guys were going to open back up unsafely quickly because I wasn't thinking about what the framework you just said. So I was thinking like, boy, Disney's going to open up within a few days and try to, and this is going to be a disaster. Like that was my first thought when I saw Disney close going, man, they don't want to be closed. And then the doors were shut for what? Four months almost. How long was it? Three months uh, from March, mid-March to early July, end of June, something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. And that was Florida and Disneyland, yeah. you know, they're still closed. And so uh, Disneyland Paris is still closed. So some of that was the company. Some of that was local government or local policy. And uh, but it was clear if you reopen, you can't you can't put anyone's safety at risk. And that's where that's where companies, you know, they talk about what they value. But when it comes down to to your point, billions of dollars of revenue and thousands of jobs. Um, are you really ready to hold to your values? And um, your brand is your most important thing. And I can guarantee you, uh, they they couldn't. Walt Disney World couldn't afford to have a story that you know a hundred people visited Walt Disney World and now have flown home and and spread the virus to thousands of more people. That just couldn't happen. And so yeah. they concluded that they could operate safely. And uh, you know, my wife and I went there probably when the first month they opened. And we were in the parking lot. We weren't even to the tram yet. And I was wearing kind of the scarf over my mouth. And one of the cast members approached and said, hi, sir, how are you today? Um, just to let you know, those scarves are not uh, considered protection. Um, you can purchase a mask or you can go to guest relations and get one, but you're gonna have to have one before you go into the park. So the accountability, they do it really nice, but it was clear, you, you're not coming in here. And you don't hear stories about like people in the parks not wearing their masks, you know, it just doesn't happen. You hear about that in a lot, a lot of other places, but it's very clear when you come in, if you're not wearing it, then you're not gonna be able to visit here because that has safety has to be number one. Following the blogs and, you know, so many of the travel blogs, when I would read them again, I was expecting to read like, yeah, we went into the park and it was a disaster and I felt unsafe and people weren't wearing their masks because you heard that everywhere else, restaurants and hotels and, and airports are a disaster. But everyone said, listen, like the tra travel bloggers were all writing it. Listen, if you are not prepared to keep that mask on every time, apart from those tiny windows where you're eating and you have to stand still, you you will not be happy. <laughs> you They are not kidding around with this. And uh Maybe you can talk this through quickly. What is a brand? Because I think there's a lot of people that think a brand is like a logo or a tagline. And having mentioned Seth Godin earlier, that's one of the things he talks about all the time. A brand is not your logo. It's not a tagline. Anybody can have those things. A brand is something different. To you, Dan, what, what is a brand? And, and maybe how has that helped the organizations and industries that have made this pivot work? How has it helped them? Yeah, I, I mean, from my standpoint, I think there's two things that go into a brand. First of all, it's a it's a promise, right? So when you see that logo, you associate it with a promise. So when I go have Starbucks, I see that mermaid. I'm like, all right, I know I'm going to get my venti dark. It's going to taste right. I'm going to have a nice experience. And if I decide to stay there in, in this environment, if I'm allowed to stay there, I'm going to have a clean table and a really nice atmosphere and I'm going to have good Wi-Fi. And 
I know how that whole thing works. It's extremely consistent. And that's a big part of the promise consistency. Cause you know, your, uh, the, your, your, your brand doesn't have to do with, you know, you have, you have Versace and you have McDonald's. They're both very powerful brands because they're consistent. When you go to McDonald's, it doesn't cost a lot, but the brand is powerful because they consistently deliver their product. They can, and we almost take it for granted. We almost like people, that's where working in operations for so many years, I never took for granted how complicated it is to deliver a consistent experience every day. And that's just incredibly um, important. Um, can you de consistently deliver? If you ever saw the movie, The Founder about Ray Kroc, you know, he shows Excellent. up at, one of the McDonald's and they're selling tacos and they're like, what happened? Well, the burgers, we kind of, we weren't doing that well. So we decided to do tacos. And it's like, could you imagine that today? You show up at McDonald's we're like, yeah, we're doing uh, tamales because we thought this would be fun. So anyway, yeah. that consistency is way underrated and most companies don't have the discipline to put, to put standards in place to consistently deliver that time over time over time. But the ones that do, they sustain their business and they grow because people like that. Now, the other part of a brand is not just the consistency, but it's emotional connection. It's the, it's how I feel when I have that product where I interact with that product, where I, the emotional connection it gives me. And so it's almost two ends of the spectrum. It's on one hand, I want to be really, really consistent, but I also want to feel like an individual and feel like it means something personally to me. And for some people are motivated by the, the brand, how they, how they feel when they interact with it or they wear it or they use it, how they're perceived, um, how their, their emotional piece. Cause a lot of people go on vacation. They want things to work right. They want things to be predictable. That's a, that's important for families and that's what you get in yeah. a lot of these experiences. So for me, it's, it's a promise and it's an emotional connection and, and brands are able to do that. Yeah. And that's, that's that's so interesting that you you don't really want to be surprised when it comes to the brands that you care about most, which was, which must be so tricky uh, coming down from kind of leadership at something like Disney or I don't know Nike or you know name name some of the most powerful recognizable brands trying to to deliver that consistency and deliver and without you know you don't want to totally surprise people because that's not what they're coming back to you for but you still want to innovate you still want to do new things and move forward that that's got to be a really fine line because you know when i you know when we book our disney tickets i immediately can feel smell sense exactly what that experience is going to be like and if i get there and it doesn't feel like that and it always does but if i got there and i and it didn't have that feeling to it, I'd be very upset. Has innovation been a big part of the pivot for some of these companies and particularly for, for hospitality? Or has it been about innovation or has it been more about delivering the consistent brand in spite of these new restrictions? The answer is yes. <laughs> it's so th this is this is a classic one at Disney is you have a, a feel that you want to create for people. People love to harken back to how things were, but at the same time, people want new things. And so I kind of joked yeah. at Disney, people said, look, we want new and exciting things every time we go, but don't change anything and don't take anything away. <laughs> and it, you know, it's hard to, you got to thread that needle. So over time, you're, you're going back to your guiding principles of why people are coming on vacation. And uh, we, we, we concluded, we landed on this concept of wants and needs. And, you know, people want a great vacation. They want, um, they want to see the characters. They want to be entertained. 
They want to be in that environment. But what they, what do they need? They need to be treated as individuals. They need to feel special. They need to be respected. They need us to be good at what we're doing, be knowledgeable about the service we're providing. So it is. Uh, you do it in tandem. You deliver what people have wanted, but you also um, you're always taking a check of what people's expectations are and catching up. Because it used to be like, okay, if I want to have a great you know, a hotel experience, I'll just go find out what all the hotels are doing. In today's world, you're not competing with hotels or theme parks anymore. You're competing with any technology, or any service that any customer now interacts with in any industry. So when people started coming to Disney and said, you know, I want to have a uh, real time uh, wait times. Well, who else is doing that? Well, now I, when I order pizza, I can see when it's coming. Why can't you tell me that too? And so we had to create an app. So we're now, we, we're, we have to be as good as the, um, the, the best competitors in all these different industries. And that's where you start testing stuff. And A, you do a lot of this uh, um, focus groups. You talk to people. You figure out mm -hmm. what they're looking for. The problem is they can't tell you. Uh, they can't always tell you what they want. They know once they see it, they know they're like, yeah, I like that, but they can't put it into words. And one, I love yeah. the quote, you know, if people had asked Henry Ford, um, if they had given, if he had done focus groups, they would have asked for a faster horse, right? They didn't know what they wanted, right. but he knew what he had. And so you got to get to that next level below of, of what they're saying between the lines and figure out how they participate dynamically. Um, and so um, you, you have to innovate on one hand and you have to look at and bring what people want and what's now innovative in the industry and what the new expectations are, what technology allows you to do. But you also want to protect the heritage and tradition. And that's the hard part about this, the fits and starts of companies who are trying to evolve, but are also trying to stay with what made them successful to begin with. And some don't ever move the train, you know, trains, Trains never, yeah. they could have taken all that money they were making and started investing in airplanes. They didn't. Um, so you have the ones that don't get it at all. And then you have other ones who are already always, uh, they'll just let go of the heritage tradition and go into a whole new place. And then they quote unquote, get back to basics and refine themselves and what, why people love them to begin with. So it's, it's a dilemma and there's yeah. no right answer to it. That's, you know, that, that just made me think of, of two stories involving the same company, uh, which, which is Netflix. So on one hand, Blockbuster really should have invented Netflix. That's blinders, right? Blockbuster, that that's a colossal mistake that they didn't invent Netflix or even buy in when they had the chance to buy them up early on. And then Netflix almost made the other mistake that you just talked about, which is when they tried to go uh, shift away from streaming to the DVD mail-in service and split it into two different companies and and. And then they almost lost their entire customer base overnight because they tried to go, let's do a whole new thing instead of the thing everybody had already signed up for. Uh, fascinating that, that that two sides of the, the same coin with with one company. As we kind of wind on in here, uh, what's next and what's lasting for the hospitality industry? I, I What happens with the actual medical science isn't going to matter as much as people feeling safe. Right. Whether it is safe or not, people have to feel safe. And I thought, God, the, the conferences I used to speak at with a thousand people shoulder to shoulder for three days in a conference center, that's that's not coming back, even if it's even if it's technically safe, that's not coming back yet. So with all the changes in place, you know, what's next? What's and what's going to stick around, um, you know, for 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 Disney, for hospitality, for large scale public event entertainment? Yeah, I, 
for me, this is my opinion, and I don't know if this is right, but I think if you go back to just um, basic human nature, that'll tell you what people are going to want to continue and what they're willing to kind of let go of. So, you know, people in the hospitality industry or, you know, travel, they want to escape. They want to go to a new place, a new environment. New environments are refreshing. New environments make you, give you energy. They make you more creative. You know, that's why my wife and I, we love traveling because it just, it, it, it uh, gets our minds rotating again. And, and when you're in a new place, you're just so much more, you notice details, you're engaged. And I think people will continue to want, want to do that. Um, I think, you know, travel is going to continue. A sense of community is a big one. So I think, you know, that is, you can do that in person. And you can also do that virtually now. And I think a lot of the people before that had a list of the things you can't do virtually have now crossed off a bunch of those things and said, no, you actually can work from home. We actually can run our company without a home office. We actually can connect with each other on a one-on-one -on -one basis without having to you know, be physically with each other. So, um, and that's been good news for me because, you know, when this first started, people called, we had six months of travel and keynotes and stuff we had booked. And all of a sudden, you know, in a week, we're like, it was all canceled and we don't know when it's going to happen again. God. And I told my wife, I said, this entrepreneurship thing was fun until people stopped calling. You know, now I'm really wishing we had that <laughs> paycheck on Thursday. Um, but, um, yeah, right. But, but, but as we've gone through it, all of a sudden people are calling going, you know what, we are going to do a keynote and it's going to be virtual. And so if you can get on and speak and we'll pay you for that. So I think a lot of, luckily now people are more open to accepting what they weren't willing to accept before. I was certain willing to do it, but on the other end, are you willing to, you know, to do it this way? And I think it's caused people yeah. to become more flexible and, and accept a new reality. And my point of view, this is a tangent, but a lot of companies say, we, we don't want people working from home. It's not as productive. You need, you need to be collaborating in person. They didn't, they didn't believe any of that. They just don't trust their people. They don't trust their people to work from home. And, and so they're like, somehow, if you're in the office, then we're going to be able to keep an eye on you. And people, people, I don't know if they know that exactly. And I don't know if they'll ever say that, but um, I've told people, look, if you don't trust people to get the job from home, then fire them and get someone you do trust because you, that's, that's the essence of this. And if you, and if you can't measure what they do, then you got a problem. Like if you don't know what they're supposed to be doing, then that's, that's going to be your problem as an employer. So, um, I know I, I hit a lot of different things here, but things are, there's a bunch of stuff's going to come back and a bunch of stuff is going to now be accepted. I think technology, I've heard people say, maybe we fast forwarded five years and now the technology is going to chase it because people are willing to use it. And now we just need more bandwidth. Yeah. We need more, you know, we need to make it better. Yeah. Um, but, um, I think I, for me, every crisis has a silver lining, and I think this is going to have all kinds of silver linings come out of this. We're, we're starting to see them now. I've talked to people at Disney being laid off. I've talked to them. They said, this is the best thing that could happen. I never would have had the courage to leave, but when Disney said, well, your job exists no more, I'm now making three times what I made before, and I love what I'm doing. And it's like, I never would have known this because it's hard to make that decision. So I know this has been a hard time. It's been a sad time. It's been a stressful time. But as I tell young people, I said, look, this is certainly not the only crisis you're going to have in your, the world crisis you're going to have in your life. And it certainly may not be the worst. So hopefully you've learned something from this and to be self-motivated and be able to handle this because this is a life's a long journey and you're going to have a lot of ups and downs. 
That's a great answer. And let me just say hallelujah to when, because if anybody is listening to this audio version, you, you, you could see me throw my hands up in hallelujah, but they can't hear me do that. Uh, when you said the thing about uh, companies that didn't trust people working from home, I, I post, I must have posted something almost word for word what you just said back in April of last year. Like if, if you don't trust people that you that are working for you to get the job done at home, then you're into your whole company is broken already that this is just revealing how broken it is or that you're just a boss and you're not a leader. And you just found that out. You know, like it, it really revealed the people who were not yeah. leaders. So, all right. Real quick, because I want to let you go, so you have a little break before your next yeah. your next thing uh, here. How's your How's I'm your good. next thing? I I promised my wife I would let her get one question because she was so excited I was talking to you. Um, so just one thing that even Disney super fans might not know about the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> Gosh, well, there's probably some, and I'd have to think about this, but I'll tell you one story well i'll tell you two quick stories quick two quick stories about my some of my favorite things there is um back in the day at the uh the raceway in um the speedway in tomorrowland there's that if you go to get in the cars and you look up there's like a one-way glass up there it's like a little building and it looks like uh um people are watching the grand prix race that used to be a, a, a lounge, a VIP lounge when companies would sponsor and say so people would go up there and have a beverage and um, from those companies. And now it's an, it's an office where some of our uh, trainers do their, when new cast members come, they do, they do training up there and they have computers and things. And that was one of my favorite places at magic kingdom. When I was out walking around the park, if I, if I, had some time and I'm like, all right, I have to get some emails done, but I don't want to go back to my office. I'd go up in the speedway in that office. It's air conditioned. You'd be, it felt like Disney felt like back in the day, you know, in the old days. So that was a really cool place. And the other story when, um, when I was the, the VP there, um, you know, probably a couple times a month when I was out walking the park, you know, I'd have, usually it was someone from the UK would come up, Hey mate, where can I get a pint around here? I'm looking everywhere. I went to Pecos Bills, the bar. I went to the uh, this uh, this this. Everyone says it's a bar, a tavern, but no one has beer. And I said, well, you know, first you tell them. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's what you can do. You can hop on the monorail, get off at the fourth floor, of the Contemporary, go to the outer rim, have a beer, and be back here in 45 minutes or an hour. And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. So finally, I'm like, all right, I'm going to create my own magical moment. You know, cast members all come up with the things that they do for people that are going to be these memorable moments. So um, I got one of those little dorm refrigerators and put it up in my office and stocked it with some like three, three or four different varieties of beer. And when I ran into those gentlemen, I'd say, all right, this is your lucky day. You met the right guy. Tell your family you just met the vice president of the Magic Kingdom and that he's going to give you a little tour, but he can only take you. And uh, I'll have you back here in, in 20 minutes, 25 minutes. He goes, all right. So I'd take him up to my office above, uh, above Starbucks on Main Street, come in my office. I'd sit down, we'd chat, and I'd open up, and I'd crack open a beer with a cold glass and I'd give him a cold beer and he'd have his pint. He'd go back and meet his family, none the wiser. And that was my magical moment. I called it uh, Club 33 and a half because that was the only place you could get a beer 
besides at the time, uh, the Be Our Guest restaurant. And now if you go to any table service restaurant, you can get beer or wine. By the time when it was dry, I was the uh, little speakeasy. And the only way to get in was to come across me when I had time. I was in the park and you asked for a beer. But if those, those three stars aligned, you could have that kind of cool, fun, magical moment. Unbelievable. <laughs> Well, can't ask for more than that, Dan. I really appreciate uh, your your time and 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 all of everything. My you pleasure. Today. Good Thank luck so with that four month old. You're going to blink and uh, it's going <laughs> to be years go by. So take advantage of every moment. I appreciate right, thanks, that very much. Thanks so much.